How do we grow? By strength or resolve? Can we make it so? Can we shape the course of our lives according to our purpose and design? Or add a single hour to the measure of our time? How can we ever venture into what is unknown when we are incapable of the smallest change on our own? Looking back over the span of our lives, we can see the marks that testify to how far we've come, how much we've grown, how much of His grace we have been shown. The marks of maturity on our lives the evidence of the work of Christ, the seed that he has planted in our heart. The Lord has also watered and will refine every part. It is his intention to give it growth. Until it comes to fruition, he has sealed it with his oath. That he who began this good work in you will see it through. In this lies our hope. Not in what we do. But we do not grow alone. Our roots are intertwined. One with another. So that your strength is mine. While we wait in expectation, no growth can be seen. The tender shoots that so quickly spring up must grow strong. Lest they remain frail and green. Would we be overwhelmed by perils in store? that his timing seeks to prepare us for? Let us endure our trials with patience, for it's in his goodness that we trust and hold fast to our commitment, resting in his faithfulness to us. His goal is for our good. On this our assurance falls, that he who began this good work will surely make it grow tall. As Christians, we are called to grow. We're called to move forward, to change, to make progress in becoming the the person that God has designed us to be. But in what way should we grow? And how can we achieve this? Is it just through grit and determination? Or are there resources that we can depend on? These are some of the questions that Paul starts to answer in the next section of the letter to the Thessalonians as he teaches us about growing in holiness. So we're going to read now from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1 down to verse 8. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you were living. Now we, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we give you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul was writing to a church of committed Christians. They had repented of their sin and then put their faith in Jesus. He said about them in chapter 1 verse 9, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And despite suffering intensely from persecution, these believers had stood firm in their faith. They had persevered, they had endured, they had overcome. And as we saw last week, Paul was overjoyed when he heard about this. He said in chapter 3, verse 8, For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. But it wasn't just Paul who was delighted. Amazingly, and much more importantly, God was pleased with these believers. Because they were living to please God. Leona read to us in verse 1, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. During his time with them in Thessalonica, Paul had taught them the gospel of Christ. The gospel says that they were sinners who deserved to be separated from God forever. And that no matter what they did, they could not save themselves. But God loved them so much that he sent his one and only son to be their saviour. And that Jesus went to the cross to die in their place, to pay in full the punishment that they deserved for their sins. And that through simple faith in him, they could be forgiven, declared righteous, adopted into God's family, and guaranteed a place in heaven. This was the the good news, the great news, the amazing news that Paul preached. And this is the good news that they had believed. They'd put their faith in Jesus and they had become part of God's family. But that wasn't all that Paul had taught them when he was there with them. He'd also taught them that as God's children, they were now called to live a different kind of life. A life that pleased God. This is a life that looks like somebody who's following Jesus. Because this is what Jesus did in in his own life. He said in John chapter 8 verse 29, I always do what pleases him, referring to his father. And this is what Paul also demonstrated in his own ministry. He said in chapter 2 verse 4 of this letter that we're reading, We are not trying to please men but God who tests our hearts. Paul wasn't really concerned about being popular with people at all. He didn't try and do or say things that people expected him to. Instead, he was committed to obeying God and doing what God had commissioned him to do. And if we have trusted in Jesus... 
If we put our faith in Jesus for our salvation, then this is what we are called to do as well. Our calling is not to please other people. It's not to try to be popular or to be admired by those around us. Neither is it to please ourselves. To do what feels good or what we think will benefit us. Rather, we are called to live wholeheartedly and passionately to please God. Now, I need to be really clear about this. We are not trying to please God in order to become God's children. We're not trying to please God in order to earn his love or acceptance. But instead, we're trying to please God because we are already, we've already become God's children. And we're trying to please God in order to express our love for God in response to his unconditional love for us. So we're not pleasing God in order to become God's children, but because we are God's children. We're not living to please God in order to earn God's love, but to express our love for God, the one who first loved us. And this is what these believers in Thessalonica had done. They'd listened to Paul and they'd put in practice his teaching. And they were now living to please God. Their heart's desire was to honour and to glorify the one who loved them and who gave his son to die for them. But that didn't mean that these believers had their lives all sorted. Paul was, was delighted that they were seeking to live to please God. But Paul wasn't satisfied with this. Instead, he said this, verse 1 again, Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. This is our continual challenge. Whether we've trusted in the Lord Jesus very recently, or whether we've been following Jesus for decades, whether we think we've been, a, we've been doing a really good job in being a Christian, or whether we know that we've really just been messing up again and again, each of us are called to live in such a way that we are pleasing God more and more in our lives. Growth is what God is looking for in our lives. Progress, moving forward for all of us. Each day we are called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, as Peter writes at the end of his second letter. But how should that impact our lives? What changes will that make in how we live, if we live to increasingly please God. As Christians, we are called to progressively please God. But what difference should this make in our lives? 
Well, Paul's focus here in this passage that we've just read is that this will lead us to live a pure life. In verse 3 he said to them that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality in the Bible is any sexual intimacy outside of the sacred bond of marriage between one man and one woman. And this kind of immorality was just as common in Paul's day as it is in ours. In fact, prostitution and promiscuity was actually promoted as part of their religious activities. It was part of their their worship life. But Paul called these Christians to be completely and totally different from this, to avoid this lifestyle completely. They were to have nothing to do with this in their actions, in their words, and in their thoughts. In fact, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 3 of that letter, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. But why? Why is purity in our lives so important? Well, I think in some aspects of our lives, the need for purity is is obvious. I recently saw this this little cartoon. In it, a, a man said to his to his uh, his wife, "Whenever I get mad at you, you never seem to get upset. How do you manage to control your temper?" His wife replied, "Well, I just go and clean the toilet." But the husband said, "How does that help?" Well, I use your toothbrush. The woman replied. Now, of course, that's just a horrible idea because purity in how we use our toothbrush is absolutely crucial, isn't it? We don't want it to be contaminated with anything that's disgusting or, or, or infectious or vulgar. We need to keep our toothbrushes pure. And in the middle of our, this pandemic, we are, of course, even more conscious of the need for cleanliness. To avoid anything that will contaminate us or infect us. But God is more interested with the sin that will contaminate us. God is more interested in how sin infects us much more than how a virus infects us. Paul said that it's God's will that you should be sanctified. God's plan for our lives is that we will be holy. That we will be set apart from this world. And that we'll be completely dedicated to God. That means that we'll live in accordance with God's plan and purpose for our lives. That we'll honour him as our creator, our Lord, our God. And that plan for humanity involves sexual intimacy enjoyed within the security and love of a committed covenant relationship of marriage. 
And so anything outside of that marriage is a, is a distortion of that gift and a rejection of God's good plan for human beings. And that dishonours God. Even if it's what we want, even if we say, well, that's what just comes naturally, even if we claim that it's what makes us feel good, it is sinful, it is rebellious, and it's deserving of punishment. Because it's a rejection of God and his rule and his reign in our lives. That's why Paul said in verse 6, the Lord will punish men for all such sins. And that means that sexual immorality is never a loving thing to do. Paul said, verse 5, in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of him. These days, people often defend their lifestyle choices by saying things like, love is love. But to really love someone means that we're going to seek the best for them. Loving people means that we look for the, look out for their best. And immorality is never their best. Because it leads them away from God. And so those who either take advantage of other people, either through force or manipulation, or even through common struggles, common issues in their lives, then they are not acting in a loving way. Purity is not only God's will, but it's also good. Because it means that we will refuse to wrong or take advantage of others or encourage them to live in a way that will incur the wrath of God. So we will choose purity if we truly love other people. Because that is what helps them to follow God's plan for their lives. And so Paul wrote here, Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. So let's be really clear about what Paul is saying here. Paul is not calling us to condemn the actions of other people, the people in the world who do not know God, who are not believers in Jesus, who are not Christians. Our job is not to judge and condemn them. Instead, he's calling us, who do know God, to live in a way that is consistent with who God is. To live in a way that honours him. And they express his love to others. Even if it means that we need to control or even deny our own natural desires. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
But of course, none of us can claim that we've always lived this way. Especially as God sets that standard so high. Because this is not just about what we've done in our lives, our actions. This is also about our thought life. Our private life that, that nobody else sees. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's just how high this standard is for what holiness looks like in our lives. So if we're honest this morning, none of us have been constantly pure in our actions, in our words. In our thoughts. We all stand guilty before God. We all deserve to be punished. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have no right. To come here this morning and meet together as a church. And point the finger at somebody else. We have no right to stand in judgment on others. For their struggles or their failures. We're not here to talk about other people and their issues, their sins. Because we can't claim that we are righteous through our own achievements, through our own efforts, through our own behaviour. So we, if we were standing on our own merits, our own record this morning, we would stand guilty before God. But we're also here because we don't need to live in condemnation today. Because if we put our trust in Jesus, then we are forgiven. Jesus paid the price of all of our sins when he died for us. John writes in his letter, 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us From all sin. Not just from some of it. Not just from the the so-called little sins. But from all sin. And so today. Whatever sin we have committed in the past. Whatever sin we struggle with today. Right now. If we have trusted in Jesus. If we have trusted in his sacrificial death. And his victorious resurrection. Then we can rejoice that we are Pure in God's sight. We're forgiven. We're cleansed. We're accepted. We're adopted. We are dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. That is the gift that God gives us when we put our trust in Jesus. And so this call that Paul describes here to, to live a holy life, to live a pure life, is not to try to achieve something through our efforts, through our determination, through beating yourselves up about things, through condemning ourselves, through telling ourselves how terrible we are. But rather it's a call simply to live out what Jesus has already given to us. He has given us this gift of being pure in God's sight through faith in him. And he's just calling us to live it out in our everyday lives.
So we're called to increasingly live to please God by living a holy and pure life. Living out the purity that God has called us to and has given us, uh, given to us through our faith in Jesus. But how can we do this? How can we overcome our natural instincts and the culture in which we live to live and grow in holiness? Well, in this passage, Paul points to three ways we can do this. And we just want to finish by, by looking at this very briefly. The first one is through listening to the preaching of God's word. As we've seen in verse 1, these Thessalonians started living to please God in response to Paul's preaching. But some people might say, well, that's just Paul, isn't it? He's got some strange ideas about morality. He's just old-fashioned and narrow-minded. He's just a, a child of his generation. Look, this is 2020, and we know so much better about how to live. But Paul here wasn't sharing his own ideas or his own thoughts. He wasn't just speaking on behalf of his culture or his generation. He said in verse 2, you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. This word instructions here uh, was often used as a, in military commands. For a military command or for a, a civil order by a court or a magistrate. So they are commands that come with authority that must be obeyed. So Paul here was speaking as an apostle who had been personally commissioned by Jesus. So he was speaking God's word. And so we can say in verse 8 that he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God. So this is the first way that we can grow in holiness. We need to learn what God commands us to do. We need to take God's word seriously. We need to read his word. Let it speak into our lives, study his teaching, get to know God's character and his plan for our lives. And let it speak into our hearts and renew our minds so that we will submit to God's will for our lives. This is what Psalm 119 says in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Then verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. First way that we overcome our sinful nature and live that, that increasingly live a pure and holy life is by, by listening to God's word. But we need to do more than this. We also need to depend on the power of of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us here in verse 8 that God is the one who gives you his spirit. If we have trusted in Jesus, then God lives in us. 
We are God's house. We are his, the dwelling place of the Almighty on earth. And this awesome privilege is a powerful motivation to say no to the corruption in this world. And to live in a way that's holy and honourable. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You are bought with, at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. So the presence of the Holy Spirit motivates us to live in a way that pleases God. We are called to live a holy life because the Holy Spirit lives within us. But the presence of the Spirit doesn't only motivate us to do this. He also empowers us to do this. This is the the promise of the new covenant through Christ. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 27 says this, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. We all know the weakness of our character. We all know the temptations that overtake us. We know the situations that continually trip us up. In our own strength, we cannot fight this battle. On our own, we will always fail. We cannot live a life of purity through grit and determination. But we're not on our own. God lives in us. And with God's power, we can increasingly live a life that pleases him. So Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 5 and 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And that's why in the previous chapter, the passage we looked at last week, Paul prayed for God's strength for these believers. Chapter 3, verse 13 of our letter. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Paul Paul prayed that they will experience the power of God so that they would live holy and blameless lives. But this prayer also points to the final way that we can grow in holiness in this passage. By looking forward to a perfect future. When Jesus comes back for his people, our battle with sin will be over. We'll step into the fullness of all that Jesus won for us on the cross. And on that day, We will be perfectly pure. And it's the hope of that wonderful day that encourages us to keep on going in our battle with sin in our lives. 
This is what John wrote about in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And it goes on verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Folks, we look forward to that glorious day when we will be made just like Jesus. Our battle with sin will be over forever. And that that joy, that hope, that expectation, that confidence that that's going to happen one day can empower us and motivate us and encourage us, inspire us, To live out this pure life that God has called us to. So like these Thessalonians. We live in a sinful and corrupt world. Where God's moral standards are ridiculed and mocked. But we are called to increasingly live a a pure life. We are called to be different from this, this world. We are called to grow in holiness by living to please God, by increasingly pleasing God in our lives. Through living that pure life. And how do we do this? By listening to the preaching of God's word. By depending on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And by looking forward to that day when we will stand Perfectly, like our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Thank you, Father, that you have not called us to live an impure life. But you have called us to be holy, as you are holy. Lord, it's just an amazing call that you have placed on each and every one of us. And yes, Lord, we realise that, that in, our, in of ourselves, based on our past record, based on our present struggles, we cannot do this, Lord. We cannot live a pure life. We have not lived a pure life. Lord, if you would mark our transgressions, who would stand? But thanks be to, to God for his unspeakable gift of his Son, the Lord Jesus The one who died on the cross, who became sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God. (coughs) Father, I just thank you for that. That you today have dressed us in the righteousness of Christ. You have made us pure and holy in your sight. So today, we are your holy people. We are your saints. Not through our own actions, but through your grace. And so, Lord, we pray you'd help us. Help us increasingly in our lives to live that reality out. Lord, you know the areas of our life where we struggle, whether it's in what we do, or what we say, or what we think. You know the things that trip us up. You know the temptations that we struggle with, Lord. Father, I pray you'd help us to increasingly live a pure life in this corrupt and immoral world, Lord. Help us to say no to the to the the way of this world. Help us to say no to the wrong desires and thoughts in our own mind and heart. 
and help us to live a life that, that honours you, Lord. Thank you for these resources, the resources of your word, of your Holy Spirit, of this, this, the sure and certain hope of a, of, of a perfect future, Lord. I pray that these things would encourage us today and that from today we would go from here to, uh, with renewed commitment to live out the, the pure life that you have given to us, to be, be the people you have made us to be, to be like Jesus increasingly in each one of our lives so that we might honour and we might glorify you in this world. For your name's sake. Amen.